you're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another amazing episode of Changing Reality. We're so thrilled to have you all with us here this Thursday. So Changing Reality, for all of you who do not know, is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are, in essence, changing their own reality. So we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, top business owners, thought leaders, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the board and all across the world as well. And oftentimes, people who have spent time here on the Penn campus too, such as our speaker for today. So a little spoiler for y'all. So we get to hear these inspiring stories on how they are making waves in the world around them. And hopefully from listening to these bits of inspiration, we can take away the lessons that uh, we can from their experiences so that we can figure out how we can create the reality that we want for ourselves as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are so many people out there who do phenomenal things and are changing the lives of the people around them, are changing their own lives. And I'm super passionate about learning from their experiences of how they're doing that and how they're using the resources in their own capacity to actually make a difference. And I personally believe so much in the power of stories because I've seen it actually change lives around me. I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with not just the Malaysian Ministry of Education, but organizations all around the world to provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to learn to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and start their own careers while they're still in school that creates meaningful impact, not just for themselves, but for those around them too. And to date, we've been fortunate to work with over 15,000 people in 970 communities and have incubated a countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged eight to 25 years old. So, and so kind of like the underlying factor that's enabled them to do all of this is the experiences that we've gotten from so many kind individuals across the world. And from their experience, their guidance, their stories, they've actually managed to take the lessons from that and actually grow themselves, grow their own careers. And so much so that even just this last weekend, we actually had a conference for 50,000 students all across the world uh, from 28 different countries. And that was only possible because we had so many kind Gen Z entrepreneurs, multiple award-winning entrepreneurs actually come in and share their stories with others of how they first started. So if you have any questions about it, if you have any questions about the show, if you have any topics that you want to talk about or stories that you want to uncover, do drop it in the show chat below and we'll see what we can do about it. But meanwhile, I hope that this show is that spark of inspiration for you so that you can learn from these messages and go out there and create your reality as well. So moving on to our episode for today. Today, we have someone from the Wharton Edu Executive Education Department here at Penn. And he's truly someone amazing. He provides need-based, impactful learning solutions to some of the largest organizations, not just in the United States, but across the world, I'd argue. And as the regional director, he develops corporate partnerships, identifies and evaluates opportunities with prospective clients, and maintains uh, the lead in developing and fostering these relationships. He's also responsible for planning and execution of growth strategy, and not only enables new business growth, but as well as the retention of their existing strategic lines. So without further ado, let's welcome the amazing person behind all of this, the amazing Levin, the Director of Corporate Partnerships at Wharton Executive Education. Hello. Hi, Asha. Thank you for Hi. inviting Thank you for inviting me. When you started talking about the program, I was like, am I in the right program? You know, the artists, <laughs> the actors, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong place. But joke aside, thank you very much. And you're very, hearing you, what you've done last week, and I followed in LinkedIn, that's so such an inspirational story. I'm, I'm, I'm so amazed with what you're doing at this young age. Congratulations. 
Thank you so much. And you are very, very kind. We had a, I'm going to now spoil my process for the audience, but we had a pre-interview and your story is something that I feel brought up so many lessons that I personally took, took on for my own work, but I feel would inspire many of them who are just starting out as well. So like today you're someone who is incredibly successful as i've said you work with some of the biggest companies out there you are you bring lifelong learning to their doorstep in a sense but where does your story actually start um since you are in the business of learning since you are in the education realm how is this something that you thought of when you were a student uh, first starting off i know you did a bachelor of science and then management yeah. but did you think back then that today you'd still be this education line or was there something else that you thought of back then? Well, uh, not necessarily, okay? Because this journey is really, uh, the journey itself is the story. You, you don't know where you're going a lot of times. You make some assumptions, but at the end of the day, you get somewhere that, in other words, you, your experiences, your, your relationships, those are the things that makes you get where you are today. I mean, I, I'm originally from Turkey uh, and was did my undergraduate in Turkey at a Middle East Technical University, which I'm very proud of, one of the best public schools, I'd say, in the world, because all our faculty were either from Cornell, UNC, so they had their PhDs from their Turkish faculty but gave us an education that I still uses, use it today. So that was my first introduction to real life, that, that four years of um, sleepless nights. I mean, we would see, I mean, it, it's just been amazing. I mean, one thing I learned at a very young age is uh, when my father was exporting uh, cars from Germany into Turkey, and I was one of the drivers. I learned to become a businessman. And uh, I shouldn't say this, but I'll say how to wiggle my way in different countries and uh, understand cultures, learn how to work with the custom officers. I'm not using the B word here, you know, that bribe word, but, you know, at least give them something to make it easy to go through. So at a very young age, uh, I remember vividly when I was in high school, they asked me what I want to be. And it was an English high school. So, I mean, everything was taught in English. Uh, I said, businessman. And I, that was, of course, the influence I had from my father. Um, like every Turkish, uh, you know, undergraduate, student the dream was to come to united states and get a master's degree and that's what prompted me come to the united states where i you know really kind of gotten into this whole thing but i had some i shared some of this i'll share it again some crazy stories because for example when i was in turkey we we used to drive you know uh, software but we would use punch cards so, you know, these punch cards, I, I'm giving my AJ away here, but these punch cards, you have to punch them, put it in a card box, give it to the uh, central processing unit, and then they will send you this paper pages long, and you try to find where the errors are. So that's how I learned how to do things. But what that gave me actually at that age is to do things rather than pushing like a, you know, something uh, like a, enter button and find the result. Instead, I was really going into the details. So in I'm answering you a little bit longer than I should. I know that, but I didn't know what I was going to do other than I want to become a businessman. So how I ended up in uh, Wharton Executive Education is a completely different and long story. And I'm happy to share that with you today. All right, we'll try to track it as much as we can. So, <laughs> so you were this young undergraduate who was going to pursue your master's degree. You got into a very good school, Ohio uh, University right, in the United States. And personally, for me, as someone who has unfortunately not yet set foot in the United States, we see a lot about it on movies and television and how life is like across the world. For you, as someone who at that point in time was moving to a new country, a new school, and things like that, how was it like 
being suddenly in a new country in a new culture was it everything that we saw that we see in the latest hollywood blockbusters or was it a little bit different in reality see i had that advantage i lived in germany and i traveled extensively in europe so i had an image of outside turkey so this kind of gave me a base different cultures uh, living in you know, germany for five years as a little kid and being able to travel to many countries. I mean, that was a luxury for me. Uh, looking back, of course, right now, where I went to, you know, France, I went to Holland, I went to Spain, you name it. Uh, so the image of United States for me was this unbelievably high tech. I, I'm talking 1983 here. Unbelievably high tech. Everything, you know, you... Um, space type, you know, everything is uh, motorized and whatever. So, but I ended up first in Clemson, North, uh, South Carolina. You know how big is Clemson, South Carolina? <laughs> the total population is about uh, 35,000 with students. And I think the student population is about 30,000. So that was, that's my first time in the United States. I'm like, uh, and I, I had no idea where I was coming, of course. And, but from there, I went to Ohio University. And the reason why I went to Ohio University was, again, um, I will talk about this. My mentor, who I started knowing him in my undergraduate, was teaching at Ohio University. Uh, and I wanted to really do an MBA. So then from Clemson, I went to Athens, Ohio an old mining town, which became a university town. And uh, and that was also another shock. You know, this is from south to north. So the culture is different. And the funny thing is, when I was at uh, Clemson, I worked at the cafeteria, and they would ask me, you know, do this. But as you know, how thick the southern accent is, I would not understand for the life of me. That was my biggest fear, not understanding English. But I have a, uh, you know, I was educated in English for nearly 12 years. So I thought I knew English. But when I came here, I realized that my English was only educational English, not, you know, common daily language. So that was a problem that I had to go through, too. Uh, Clemson was a, uh, one story. Ohio was another story. Uh, honestly, what I found in the United States was um, not what I envisioned. It was a little bit more, I think, utopic. Like you said, we see it in the movies. Um, not the crime side. It was more, I was expecting something more clean, more developed, um, more like I was very surprised with the... Um, uh, lack of infrastructure for public transportation. <laughs> you have to have a car. And I'm like, wow, that, that's amazing. Because as you might know, in Europe, you go from one place to another, there's always some sort of a public transportation. So those things kind of shit. But the language barrier was probably the hardest thing I encountered when I first came, uh, because I was worried that, and I didn't answer the phone for six months. <laughs> I have to admit. Because, like, I don't understand what they're saying, even though we speak the same language. So uh, what I expected and what I came to in terms of culture and, uh, you know, uh, surroundings was that. But education, uh, one thing I first came in front of is this, you know, screen that I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> it was the first time I saw that in the United States with a terminal you know, we have a keyboard. I'm like, wow, now this is amazing. So that's where I kind of said, okay, this is different. This is exactly what I wanted to do. So I was able to play a lot with the computer and you know, write codes and whatnot. Uh, I loved OR operations research. So I was solving problems with the computer. So it was it was quite a, uh, a, 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 you know, two different kind of experiences. One on the cultural side, was quite different than what I thought. And secondly, on the um, you know educational side, it was definitely a good educational with all the you know computers you have, your faculty has, you have your own cubicles, 
which is like, wow, I have a cubicle where I can do my own work. So those things really uh, kind of balance and you get used to it after a while, of course. I mean, you, you're like, all right, this is what it is. So adapt and move on. So that's what I would say uh, coming to the United States had a different kind of effect on me. No, no, very, very interesting. And you brought up so many good points that I think I just want to spend one more question on this part of your journey. Please. Because I, I personally know many people who, or who, or even me coming from a different country in a sense, where when we when we speak to people like from the US, from the UK even sometimes, it's like that inferiority of, is my English good enough? Or, or some people that I work with, English may not be their first language. It's not that they don't have a brilliant command of it. It's just that it's not their first language. So and all of these things kind of like as we start moving towards a more global world or at least for the youngsters that i work with as they start interacting with people from all across the world there might be a little bit of like like a difficulty to kind of like fit in together or kind of like see past cultural like like the, the way that we do things so for you in a sense what really helped you kind of like integrate and like like mix with different cultures because as you mentioned that you you spend your life in like different cultures even as a kid and then like it seems something that comes very natural to you in a sense so what's your pro tip in that <laughs> i i think my uh advantage was again being in different cultures mm -hmm. living growing as a as a kid from age two to seven in germany i was able to experience some of those cultural differences um Having said that, I have to have a confession. Am I allowed? Sure, go ahead. After 38, 39 years in the United States, I still don't feel that I'm fully integrated. And I don't I think that's normal because I'm the first generation of immigrant. I mean, my kids grew up were born here, grew up here, educated here, and they live here. They have a different set of value system than I where I came from. So integration is hard to do, but adaptation is a little bit different. So you need to adapt, but integration, I am not sure I'll be ever integrated. I think I'm going to, my Turkishness will always be there. But the good thing about the United States is you are called Turkish American, Italian American, Irish American, you know, um, so there is that differentiation. You can still create that. You try to keep that cultural identity and interact with the Italian Americans or the Irish Italian uh, Irish Americans. So my wife is um, both uh, German and and uh, an Irish background. So and I'm Turkish. So we we have this mixture, but that's okay in in United States. So you can adapt to those kind of value exchanges. But integration, I'm not sure, Harsha, I fully integrated. So and I don't expect it to be fully integrated because I really wanted to keep my core values of being a Turk and then still be called Turkish American because I'm a nationalized citizen uh, and I vote and everything, but I still have quite roots in turkey and i still do look back and say it's it, it is there it's it's my 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 roots are still there and my kids well that's a different story you need to speak to them for that no no but that's quite interesting in a sense like you see even in you know generational differences how people interact differently with the places that they are in the, the country that they're in that's quite interesting yeah. so back to your story in a sense as you were going now into like the working world when you were in, in like coming out of your master's degree how do you actually start like discovering what was the path for you how did you start um getting on in your career journey in a way if i'm not mistaken you started off in tourism right yeah all right um first thing first let for those out there who's listening i want to give you one advice even if you have the best degree from united states an mba undergraduate especially in today's world it's very hard to stay in this country because of the new immigration rules and everything else going on at that time when I got my MBA, I thought I would find my job like this. Oh, yes, I have an MBA. I coming from one of the best universities from Turkey. 
I will find something. Uh, my first lesson is this, network. I think that word is followed me all my life. I did not have a network in the United States because I wasn't raised here. I didn't have the, the social connections that I have. Everyone I knew was Turkish and 90% of them went back to Turkey. I'm probably one of the 10, one out of 10 state and I'm one of them because I decided to stay. So in, in that sense, it was, you know, uh, it's, it was really hard for me to, you know, make that, <laughs> trying to figure out how to do this. And uh, I, what I tried to do at that time is, you know, is it, is it true? What I'm doing here is the thing I want to do. How I do it? How do I find a new job for myself? So I went to my Turkish network, okay? And my Turkish network was my cousin who was working at a card store as a part-time for a Turkish person. He, on the other end, knew the uh, tourism company, which I had a background from Turkey as a tour guide, said, Levant just got his MBA. Why don't you just get it, see if you would like to hire him? He's a good guy, he would do it. And that's how I got my first job in the United States as an um, office manager for VIP tourism, uh, still exists in Turkey, one of the largest in Turkey. But, uh, you know, one thing I also believe a lot is the fate part. I mean, you can only control certain things. That's lesson number two. Don't worry about uncontrollable factors. Don't bother with them. Just count. look at what you can control, okay? And try to work with them. So after a year and a half, the Lockerbie bombing happened, the uh, Pan Am, uh, and we lost 90% of all revenue and they had to close the New York office. And so I was out <laughs> and I didn't have a job. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, networking and I, my mentor ended up in Boston. So I drove to Boston. I said, I have no place to stay. I want to come to Boston and live here. Can you help me? Sure, why not? Come here. They gave me a room. I stayed there. And then they asked another person to find me another job in the travel industry. Uh, so this is all about, I'm talking about networking here. You constantly go after your network and try to find those connections. That's going to help you. Because honestly, that's the easiest way to find a job even today i don't care how much education you have how successful you are someone needs to give you that network and then you should be able to with your education of course you have to have education experience resumes mean something but networks are critical so that was my second step to boston where i spent about seven years, met my first wife, who was my boss. <clears throat> I shouldn't have said that, uh, but I did. And then uh, we got married, two kids, you know, and so and so forth. And then the company was bought by another company, and they laid off everyone in the term of uh, re-engineering everything. So, and, and that that that's basically where I stopped my um, career in uh, travel industry. As you can see, I am right now a regional director doing executive education, and I have nothing in common with what I'm doing today versus what I was doing. At least that's what I'm thinking. But those experiences and expertise you're gaining is going to help you in the future one way or another. No, 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 that's absolutely amazing. And I think even in that story, you touched on so many different points. Like I like even the point of building a network. I feel like sometimes when we hear the word network, we we we, we imagine you 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 watch, you know, these spy movies where they have like these contexts of, of these high profile contacts and all of that. But actually in reality, it's just the people that we know, like like as you mentioned, your cousin, your friend, your mentor. So it's it's people in your immediate circle. Yeah. So yeah. even then just reaching out to them, I feel sometimes like like one of the things that 
when we work with students who are starting up their own business, we always say that your first clients are going to be the people who know you, your family, your friends, and things like that, because they're the ones who are going to believe in you first, in a way. Because they are so, the ones who's going to buy from you, or they're the ones who's going to give you the money. They're <laughs> the ones who are going to, when you're crying, hold that, hold you and say, it's okay, it's okay. So those are your first network members uh, and your college friends, your buddies. My next two jobs actually was as a, as a result of my uh, college buddies. So again, from Turkey. <laughs> okay, you, 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 after that, I think if I'm not mistaken, went into consulting, right? So yes. how did how, that actually happen? It's a bit yeah. of a change from yeah, yeah. Well, you know, whatever you have to do to make a living at that time, um, we were, uh, I was a tra uh, TA, uh, teaching assistant at Harvard University Extension School, again, to my mentor. And um, what happened was we, a Turkish student came from, of course, from Turkey, and she was the daughter of this conglomerate ceramic tile producer one of the largest, not in Turkey, but in the world. And they're still like that. Uh, the father died, the, uh, she took over right now. And so she came to our program. She was our student. And she said, Professor Atach, who's my mentor, could you uh, do a market and marketing research for us? Because we want to export into United States from Turkey. She said, and could you do this for us? Because you're a marketing professor. So we ended up forming this group called Harvard Consulting Group. Okay, all right. I know, I know. It's a very, uh, you know, strong name. <laughs> and it probably, if we had continued, we would have problems with the name. So we didn't <laughs> use it. So uh, Harvard Consulting Group was formed by my mentor and myself. And our first job was to um, write this research, do the survey. We ended up writing a 550-page survey for their marketing, how they can enter into the United States, what, uh, you know, what channels. So this is my entrance into consulting kind of research and everything based on what I learned. And we realized, or they realized actually, that they had to change their production line to be able to export into the United States. It was a no-go, but I gained a lot of experience on how to do consulting and whatnot. So as a result of that, we formed Harvard Consulting Group, that ceramic tile market study for the US market. And in the same class, we had an Italian student who became my good friend, by the way, right now. So I, whenever I go to Modena, I visit him. And they have the best, um, you know, uh, cheeses and whatnot. And, and uh, balsamic vinegar is something there. And it, it's just, this. it's not like that liquid thing. It's thick. It's just, yeah, when he puts that thing in there, it's delicious. Anyhow, if anybody goes to Modena, uh, cheese with balsamic vinegar, but the, the good quality, like 20-year-old, I would highly recommend it. So I'm putting a little bit here and there, so hopefully that's okay, Harsha. Uh, <laughs> so he ended up working for this group called Creomini, a uh, group in Italy, and they had um, a competitor to McDonald's at that time called Bergi. And Turkey was in the initial stand, stages of franchising. <laughs> initial stages of franchising. We had no franchising. McDonald's just started coming in. They had like three stores. There were huge lines in front of these McDonald's like you've seen when they opened in Moscow, in Beijing. That's the same thing in Istanbul, huge line. So we thought that it might be there's a possibility that if we take Bergi, the Italian um, franchise, into Turkey and compete with McDonald's. So, but of course, we have to find some master licensee, master licensor. And so here is my 
franchising experience now. I mean, so this is all on the go. And then we found the um, the, the uh, investors, their their restaurateurs. Um, we had we traveled Italy together, and they decided that they're going to agree pay the master license fee and whatnot. And we were going to be Harvard Consulting Group does this. We we said HCG. Wow. Right? We would be there consultant work with them and the cremini group and i would be the guy i mean guess what happened so they flew in their private plane to ankara where their headquarters was the turkish investors headquarters i met them in the tarmac vip treatment i took them we dined them wine them next day agreements are ready three there were like three partners that's going to be investing. Two signed, one didn't sign. The deal was off. So what, what I learned, yes, what I learned at that time was, unless you see it on the paper, never assume anything. <laughs> Today we still talk with Alfiero is his name, and we talk like, what happened there? But. What I learned again at that, I mean, it was a big blow to me because that would have been my, you know, future. Yeah. I would have been doing that. I said to Alfiero, you know, what I learned is what more important than what I didn't win that day. Because <laughs> in life, then I, my philosophy has always been, uh, it's not win or lose, it's win and learn. It's still an app, <laughs> but it's win and learn because even when you lose, you learn a lot of things. So it was a great story. I learned a lot, but we lost a lot of money. So what? <laughs> Life moves, goes on. So that's the end of Harvard Consulting Group. I said, I can't do this anymore. I need to earn a living. I have two kids, etc. That's when my college buddy came and said, it was right after the first Gulf War and uh, Turkish, there was textile quotas at the time where United States allows certain countries only so much to send. And he came to me and said, can you, do you want to do this? So again, network, my college buddy and I formed this organization. I was the U.S. office, started in Boston. Then we moved to New York to Broadway where the garment center is. And there's a lot of other stories there that I can talk about it, but it might take 10 hours. Do we have time? <laughs> um, maybe for part two, but no, <laughs> if you want to do, and like we can continue in a second. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was another great story because it it was thirteen years, by the way. That business wow. was for thirteen years. We did unbelievable business. Some highlights: we became Toys R Us, Kids R Us, Boy, uh, Babies R Us agent, their buying agent in Turkey, and we. There is a company called Lian Fund. Maybe you guys might know it. They're like a $5 billion Hong Kong-based agency. We beat them in Turkey. Again, for cultural reasons. They didn't know the market as well as we did. We knew the market. My partner at that time grew up in the textile industry in Turkey. He knew everyone. His network was very good. He knew the factory base. He knew the QC problems. Um, so, and I created the relationship on the U.S. side. Again, I built an unbelievable network with the, uh, you know, those companies, like half a billion dollar companies with sales. Uh, but I learned quite a few things there. One was um, you never compete with your price. That's lesson number one there. You know why? Because you can't win with price. You need to find other things to be able to compete. And I quickly realized that we had some competitive advantages from Turkey. Turkey is a textile country. We have quota and we're more expensive <laughs> and the same quality. I realized that the turnaround time, the turnaround time from the day they order to the time we deliver was much shorter than the China, Bangladesh, and you know Pakistan and all the other countries, even Malaysia at that time. So instead of doing in four to six months, we were able to do it in one to two months. 
And that gave them a lot of flexibility, last minute orders, um, not attaching to my finance. So you need to find that that's the first thing I learned that truly in that business, because at one point we were at $30 million per year sale. Uh, and that was a good number from because we started from zero. So uh, what I learned is you need to find your niche. You're not selling a product, you're selling a service. And you need to really find out what that service is. I mean, as you can see, I start building by knowledge base and all these ex experiences is helping me today with what I'm doing. And uh, again, uh, after 13 years, China came into the picture much stronger. Quotas were eliminated and we said, okay, we can't do this anymore because we can't compete anymore. So that's when we had to stop the business and I had to move on. And I ended up going to International Trade Center, become their consultant trainer for supporting small, medium enterprises. I'll stop here. I know you have probably a lot of questions. No, no, no. I think you're telling the story amazingly. I just wanted to let, I think our audience is also in awe. So guys, if you have any questions, make sure that you drop it in the chat below. But wow, that that is an amazing like 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 story, and I and I love those lessons that you picked up along the way. Your your next role, in a sense, was as you mentioned, consulting in a way. And how do you think like like you started off as a consultant earlier in your career as well, and then now you're kind of like back at this position. Do you think those experiences that you had in between made much of a difference to now your consulting? And what difference did it make in a sense? A lot, because. I've seen a lot of consultants, or they call themselves consultants, but they don't know anything about how to run a business. If you don't know how to run a business, I don't think you should be called a consultant. The biggest problem with management or business is it's always thought that anybody can do it. Look, I had a complete a total of six years of training in management, four years undergraduate, two years. Today, I, I don't want to put anybody down, and I apologize, but even an engineer says, I'm a leader. I, I can manage it. It's not that easy. It's not just like, you know, trying to do this. So every time I've done a business, I learned more on top of what I was trained for. So that really helped me. Uh, the reason why I was very eager to go to do the International Trade Center uh, UNDP is the uh, mother organization in mm -hmm. Switzerland because when I was doing the, um, the, uh, the garment business, the readyware business for 13 years, I've seen some very bad factories, small, <laughs> and, small and business enterprises that needed really help. Uh, and I, at that point, I wasn't in a position to go and help the factories but that's kind of where i started i said to myself i want to help small businesses because i know i have the knowledge i know how to do marketing i know how to start a business i want to do this in a way so that i can help other people so that's how i ended up itc again my mentor was there so that was also the main reason but it was exactly aligned with what i wanted to do helping those businesses, small and medium-sized businesses, so that they can uh, learn from someone like me uh, and I share my experiences. I couldn't have done that if I haven't done all that businesses and had all those experiences. I mean, for them, creating a business on the United States from zero up to $30 million was something of an unbelievable story because They've tried so many times, they always worried about the Walmarts, the Kmarts, the Sears, the JCPenney's, they, they don't, they kill us, they don't give us enough pricing, blah, 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 that's what they used to say. And I tried to explain them that there are other ways of doing this business. And that's where I got into international trade, etc. Without that experience, wouldn't have been a, I wouldn't have been a good consultant a trainer or an advisor or a mentor, whatever you want me to call. But that was critical to be able to get all that experience. 
Amazing. And, and starting to work with these, uh, these smaller businesses um, who probably were already trying to, to start up their businesses and trying to grow and facing these setbacks. For you as somebody advising them, what was the biggest challenges in getting them to grow? Was it their mindset? Was it like past failures, like like restricting future successes? Or was it just um, give, having to show them a different way of actually doing business in a way? What was the biggest challenge? Um, lack of resources. Mm-hmm. And when I say resources, people will give you only two resources to run a business, finance and which is cash or loan. And human resources, you know, and probably some infrastructure. There are two more very critical resources to run a good business. So there's actually five, definitely finance, Mm -hmm. definitely human resources, definitely infrastructure. That's, that could be a store, that could be a factory, that could be an office, anything you can think of. The two others, whenever I ask a small business, they can never answer me. And I wanted to help them that way. One, you you should know by now. We talked about this a lot. Network, I'm, I'm guessing. Exactly. All right. <laughs> network, 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 network. The another one is knowledge, know-how. All these five are resources. And a lot of times, small businesses don't realize which ones they have, which ones they don't have, and how to allocate these resources. So that's the biggest problem to understand. And a lot of these small businesses are family businesses also, okay? And and there are generational differences and whatnot. So it is really about giving them, starting with where not to compete, where not to break, I mean, you see, you, have you ever heard the expression, uh, cheap price, good quality? <laughs> I've heard of the expression, but yep. Well, I, 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 business, I, yeah, it's that's what the quandrum with the small businesses are. They always wanted to be high quality, but cheap pricing. And I said, always to say, if you're high quality, why are you cheap? Make it better. Make, you know, increase your prices. So, I mean... Uh, to answer your question, I mean, the, 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 there is the small businesses need a lot of handheld. They, they could be successful. I mean, entrepreneurs are same way. I mean, they need to understand that they need those five resources. Uh, and believe it or not, a lot of times network <laughs> helps a lot. If you know someone who can buy your product, like you said at the beginning, it's a good beginning. When, when we started this conversation, the network that we were talking about was the first initial network that we have when we're just starting out in a career. That's very different from being a business owner and having to have a little bit more of a network of, of, of people that can help grow the business. How do we transition from that first network that we have to when that point of time where we're running a business, we need a contact here, we need things like that. How do we build our network to that stage? I'd be lying to you if I say that I was going to be a a regional director at Wharton Executive Education 10 years (laughs) ago. I'd be lying to you. What happened was, and I'm going to tie this to the networking question you're asking me. What happened was I had to find a job in the United States and I wanted to do my, what I'm passionate about. But I realized that. I don't have the network to start that. I wanted to give it back to the community, provide my experiences, my knowledge, and be able to help them. So I said, okay, where do I have my best network? (laughs) Turkey. So I ended up going to Turkey in 2011 and working again through some connections. I was introduced to universities and I became a program manager at one of the universities as in their executive education. And listen, I had no plans on being on executive education, but it made sense to me with all the experiences I had and all the uh, consulting, training, advising, mentoring capabilities I created for myself. 
executive education was a, a smart way of doing this, but I did not plan it. I am just going to say it again. So I went to Sabanji University, spent a year and a half there, and then transferred to Bilgi University, Istanbul University, and created their executive education. Now, my skill set, my capabilities was perfect fit for them because I became and actually executive education role is to create the bridge between academia and the business world so that you can bring those two different ends together and create learning journeys, as I call them. So that's what I did at Bilgi University. In the meantime, in the meantime, once I'm in that new executive education world, I immediately started reaching out globally, globally to everyone that I can find in my uh, LinkedIn profile that's part of executive education. In the United States, Australia, Europe, I, would, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know. I almost ended up going to INSEAD actually, uh, living in Paris, yes, before I came to Turkey. I mean, just one person didn't agree with me and then I didn't get the job, but that's okay. This is life. Um, so at that time I started building my network. I created success stories in Turkey and the Bilgi University Executive Education Center became very successful. By the time I left, we had no executive education training days. And I, when I started and at the end, we had 740 days. So I left that at that time because my family was in, Turkey, in the United States. My wife was here. So I said, enough is enough. Now I build my base as an executive education uh, you know, leader, manager, whatever you want to call me. And I started building my network. In the meantime, I, I met someone from Columbia University, I, Mike Malafakis. He was one of the directors there. I said, I'm coming back to the United States. I like to work in a school like yourself, et cetera. He said, I have nothing, but if I see something, you'll be know, you'll know that. So, you know, I created this. I spoke to someone at UNC, someone at Georgetown, and I built this network around me. So I'm building my network. Lo and behold, Mike Melafakis ended up in Wharton Executive Education. They opened two positions. As soon as I saw that I applied for it, send a note to Mike through LinkedIn. I said, Mike, help me out. I am going to come and work for Wharton Executive Education. And he knew me kind of. We had a meeting. He said he liked what I said to him. And I ended up at Wharton Executive Education. Now, in today, I even have a more extensive network. Uh, and it's all over. It's not just executive education now. I have a network within LND, Learning and Development, HR, FCFO, CMO, uh, you know, uh, marketing officers, uh, CEOs. I mean, that, that's how you build. You, you never stop building your network. It's, you never know what's going to happen. And the only way to be successful is you keep opening your channels. You, you, you increase your length by creating these additional chains within your, I mean, just like this, you have an island, but you keep building your island bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're able to move around it. That's how I see it. I mean, uh, that's how I created the network uh, that I am in right now. And, and I, I feel very, you know, grateful that I ended up at Wharton Executive Education. I, I learned a lot. I met some, oh, by the way, the faculty, the faculty that I'm working with, they're world-renowned. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't have dreamed it. So, and I, I can always ask their help in any time and anywhere, even if I'm not around here. Did I answer your question? Very, very clearly. And I think that it also shows like, sometimes you may not have like, like, I feel like sometimes we look at amazing stories like yours and we see you are right now at this amazing position, but we don't see the whole journey in between and how you leverage on your existing network 
to bring the network forward, to, to expand in their connections, to expand your own experiences. And I feel like interviews like this are so important because we actually see kind of like the journey that you did and kind of like things that, that you went and proactively did to connect the dots. So thank you so much. I think that that is absolutely brilliant. And like today, your role is actually, in a way, advising or kind of like creating, as you said, um, these educational journeys for some of the biggest companies, I would argue, around the world. Some of them maybe even Fortune 500 companies, some of them uh, household names for the rest of us. How do you actually come about, like, like based on your experiences, it's no wonder that you're a perfect fit for the job. Like, I completely see why like you're able to do it. But how do you process that, like, the issues that they bring to you or the reason they're coming to you and create that learning journey for them. What, what is the first few things that come to mind when doing that process? Well, first thing first, the credit goes to Wharton, of course. Wharton is one of the best business schools in the world. So is UPenn, of course, one of the best universities in the world. So the expectations there is if we go to Wharton, they're going to solve our problems. <laughs> That's the expectation because we're one of the best business schools. And that's a great advantage for me to start with because that means if I can earn their trust and trust earning is very critical in business. If they believe you and they trust you, you don't have to worry about anything in life, but you don't make a mistake. Don't, don't, you know, don't let them distress you. So once they come to us and they know that as Wharton, the faculty is amazing, I'm telling you, and I'm not doing an advertisement here. It's, it's really good faculty because I talk to them and I work with them. They understand the current and the future market. So that's what the business people wants to hear from. My job for that reason is to make sure I listen to our clients. In other words, what we call customer-centric understand their needs but also do needs analysis which is very critical analyze the need analysis and sometimes tell the client that what they're asking is not right this is their problem <laughs> even if they are fortune 500 because they're in it it's hard for people to see the real problems if you're in the middle of it sometimes looking from outside in enables us to see clearer pictures because you have your own daily grinds and you don't want to deal with those things. So that is the strength. But again, I mean, I can't do this alone. I, I, I as much as I want to say, hey, I'm the best, the faculty is great. I mean, I, when I work with the faculty, I, I, I am aligned immediately. And that's a wonderful feeling, Harsha. I mean, that's, that's the feeling that makes me the most happy. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And these are Wharton faculty. And I'm like, wow, that, that, that is great. So these, you know, they, that, it starts with Wharton, but then my experience also is important. I listen, and I actually posted something today on LinkedIn. Um, it's uh, uh, Jonathan Berger, one of the best faculty. I love him wrote about hearing is not enough you need to listen and speak in a language that the customer understands because we don't know how to listen that's really this problem we always think that we know the answer by just hearing it so i added a few things to that today and actually my wife was very happy because i said she's the boss in it because I listen to her and do whatever she tells me. But joke aside, uh, the, 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 the thing is, if you do not listen and listen carefully and understand the needs, you're not going to be able to respond or uh, uh, you know, solve their problems. And Jonah used, uh, her, his research was based on, you use concrete words so that uh, you, as the client or the customer, when I speak to you, I understand your pains. I understand. So that's what I try to do. If I can create that, like they trust me because I listen to them and respond in a way that I understand their pains. It's, 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 it's at the end of the day, Harsha, everything is human to human. 
We're not talking to machines. You need to have emotional connections, emotional engagements. And I call them trust. If they trust you in your businesses, you're in a good place. I think you're going to succeed. For no, no, amazingly said, I'm speechless. No, and, no, I really am. I really am. And I think that, that I, I really love that point about you, you, you don't just, it's not about just hearing the issue and things like that. You really have to listen. And I feel like that is something that we can all take away. Even, and even if you are not in business, even if you're just a student or if you are running a company, I think that's something that all of us can apply at every level of our lives right now. And I just wanted to end on another note, like as we wind down our conversation. Uh, are on we that, almost done? I thought we I had, know, right? I we, had, just, we, had, like, we had 10 hours, no? Okay, all right. <laughs> no, it's just part one, right? Okay, we'll be back for the sequel anyway. <laughs> um, but James Bond, double Yeah, that's like seven movies already, so we, we have a few more to go. <laughs> but no, 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 like, like on that point of listening, like, like you also mentioned a few things, building networks, having mentors. And as I see in your journey, you have mentor, but you also mentor, you also guide others in a way. And one of the things I feel, maybe it's because I'm in that college student, rebellious age, but sometimes we, we, we try to listen to our mentors and we don't really, we don't really understand maybe because our level of experience is yet at their level of experience. So for me, what I've, what I've learned is listen to your mentors, even if you don't understand and that as you work on the things that they tell you to, you will eventually gain that experience to understand what they were trying to say in your experience. How do you even go about finding a mentor? And how do you go about listening to the mentor in a sense? How, why is it important to have and listen to your mentor? Look, I have only one mentor. I don't have more than one mentor. I have friends, close friends, but there's one mentor that I followed all my life. And the way I found it is I listened to him. <laughs> I listened to what he was saying. And it made sense to me what he was saying. He is very smart. Let's put it that way. And the, your mentor should be smarter than you. Because if you go to him or her, you want answers. You don't want like whitewash. You want true answers. And may or may not be what you want to hear, but I can tell you, you want answers. So having said that, what I would suggest is listen. Find people and it doesn't have to be two, three. Network is different than mentor, as you can imagine. Create your mentor, I'm sorry, network as much as you want. Make it as big as you want. But mentor is very, very important. So listen, make, listen to people who make sense. Listen to their experiences. Listen to their stories. If you find someone, don't let them go. Don't let them go. Follow them bug them, beg them. I've done all this. My mentor uh, ended up doing my wedding. <laughs> we cooked our own dinner on our wedding because we didn't have money. So uh, that, that's the relationship I built with my mentor. But his name is Dr. Osman Atatay, and he's in Istanbul right now. Uh, without him, I wouldn't be here today. I, I, I mean, as much as I did what I did, it was because I learned the basis from him. He is the creator of business management system, which United Nations International Trade Center is using. And in my brain, in the back, you know, when I said five resources, that's part of what we call BMS system. That's constantly working here. So mentor, 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 find just mentor, just listen to them, find who they are. You, of course, you have to like them. I mean, although he 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 wasn't, you know, we you know Turks are soccer fanatics. He was completely on the other side. I said, okay, that much is okay. You know, I can accept that. So, no, okay. I think that's a very very good, like like you have given a very holistic like like sharing i feel the, the many different parts of being successful as an individual in business and today creating those bridges i'd say for others to also um take 
like see their resources and create and go for success and thank you so much actually for being on this show it's been personally very enlightening and i think our audience is equally as blown as we as i am and i hope you had as much fun as everyone else being on today's show too <laughs> uh, harsha this was fun as always and i'm so much take how i mean i don't want to ask your age but for your what you're doing here and what you've done last week i think the future is yours the future is yours i'm so so i mean i i can look at the future and say with with young people like yourself i i feel good about the future because i think a lot of good things will come out of this and i'm very grateful that you gave me the opportunity to share my experience and if and when anybody else has a question you know i'm here you're you know let them get in touch with you and they can get touch with me personally no words thank you so much that is absolutely very generous of you and um every to everyone else to our audience i hope you can apply the things that we've been learning today from our amazing amazing guest and with that our episode is sadly drawn to a close join us again next thursday at 10 p.m et here on changing reality and um hopefully you guys go out there and change your own reality as well remember network mentorship building your own knowledge getting those experiences so many gems from today and i am looking forward to see what all of your lovely audience is going to do with them so with that thank you guys very much and till next time bye you're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.